This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Why should the roles of the CCO and GC be separated? Tom Fox and Matt Kelly explored this question this week on Compliance into the Weeds through the continuing saga of Francis Townsend and Activision. It's a fascinating exploration of what happens when a chief compliance officer goes rogue. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance into the Weeds. Today, we are going to uh, go to some very fanciful-based reality, which unfortunately is occurring with the corporation um, Activision. Matt wrote a blog last week uh, entitled Activision CCO Steps Into a Mess, and uh, I can only say it got weirder after he wrote this blog. So Matt, you want to tell us about uh, how it's gotten even weirder? Oh boy, Tom, where to begin? So uh, we can first quickly recap what happened with Activision and its chief compliance officer. Uh, So last week, California regulators, uh, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, I believe it is, they filed a lawsuit against Activision, which is formerly known as Activision Blizzard, one of the largest video game companies in the world. They have about $8 billion in revenue. Uh, I know these days, They make Call of Duty and a couple of other games. I know when I was a kid, they made Pitfall, and that was my last interaction with Activision. But so the regulators filed a lawsuit against Activision about a sexually harassing culture and a frat boy culture that went on for years, all sorts of really awful, awful uh, allegations in it. Um, And then the chief compliance officer, Frances Townsend, she circulated an email to uh, the employees where she said that the allegations in the lawsuit were, let me get the direct quote here, uh, factually inaccurate, old and out of context stories. uh, And then went on to say, we cannot let egregious actions of others and a truly meritless and irresponsible lawsuit damage our culture, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Ms. Townsend, who has only been chief compliance officer since March, She sent that email out to Activision's 9,500 employees. They did not like that. Uh, They called for her to step down from the uh, Activision female employee networking group. They had a walkout last week, uh, partly in response to what Ms. Townsend said, uh, which, by the way, we should say was not in step with what other senior Activision employees and executives had also said about this lawsuit. Uh, The then-CEO, Alan Carrick, or I'm sorry, Alan Brack, and yes, then CEO, um, Alan Brack had said that these allegations were deeply disturbing. They didn't recognize, represent the culture we know. Another founder had said that they had failed female employees, but nobody had said these things are not true until Francis Townsend said these things are not true. Uh, so she had a very tumultuous week last week going through all of that. And then, Tom, we get to what happened on last Friday was that Francis Townsend sent out on Twitter uh, an article 
that had appeared in the Atlantic magazine also last week about the abuses and flaws and challenges of internal whistleblowing systems. Uh, The article had nothing to do with Activision. It was all about Yale Law School and how a Yale professor there, Amy Chua, and if that name rings a bell, listeners, that's because it's the same Amy Chua who was a big defender of Brett Kavanaugh during his Supreme Court confirmation hearings, where she said he was a fine guy. And after he got on the court, he then hired Miss Chua's daughter as a clerk, whatever. Miss um, Chua was actually in trouble with Yale Law School for allegations that she had been violating uh, various policies and uh, settlement codes with Yale Law School because she had hosted some law students at her house and that there was alcohol involved uh, during the pandemic, which was supposedly a no-no. And the article explored, did this really happen? Was this blown out of proportion? Are there abuses in the whistleblower systems these days? What are we doing, America? Can we get a grip? That was all the article, and it was nothing to do with Activision. But here, Frances Townsend retweets that out. Uh, and the actual what she said in the tweet, which I have on my screen, is, quote, the problem with whistleblowing, and then talks about the new moral code of America's elite. And she sends this out on Twitter. And a lot of employees and other journalists then said, what are you thinking? How do you think this is a good idea, given the turmoil and tumult at Activision right now, that you're telling people about articles that question the value of whistleblowing? And when employees and journalists started asking Ms. Townsend, what are you thinking? What did she do, Tom? She started blocking them on Twitter. And this is a chief compliance officer who is supposedly there to encourage a speak up culture tweeting about how there are flaws in internal speak up systems, which may or may not be true. That's a controversial idea. We can explore in another podcast another week. But she puts that idea out there on the football field and then she starts blocking employees when they complain that maybe this is um, dissonant with the message of a chief compliance officer. So big mess over the weekend. And Tom, just this morning, um, it comes news that that former CEO I had mentioned, Alan Brack, Uh, He got fired today, so there's a lot of mess going on at Activision right now. And for some reason, Frances Townsend, the chief compliance officer, decided that she was going to step right into the middle of that and start tweeting about how whistleblower systems can be abused and maybe speak-up cultures are not that great. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I don't know what else to say. Uh, I, words fail me. I'm sure, Tom, you have thoughts, and I'd love to hear them, but that's what's going on right now. 
Well, Matt, when I originally read uh, your second blog post about the tweet of the Atlantic article, my thought was uh, over to our colleague Jay Rosen, who is a member of the Screenwriters Guild, has had sold screenplays in Hollywood. And every time I pitched him a story uh, around FCPA or some compliance issue that I think is outrageous, he says, Tom, sorry, it won't work. Uh, every story has to have uh, some basis in reality, and that's too outrageous. And that originally, that's what this story struck me as. But the more I thought about it overnight, Matt, I think there are really some some critical uh, and important uh, lessons that we can talk about here from this uh, imbroglio that uh, Ms. Townsend and Activision find themselves in. And I really wanted to start with what do you see as the differences between a position, uh, a chief compliance officer position, and a position such as a general counsel? And how do you see the differences in those two um, uh, really playing out uh, in this one story about Francis Townsend? You know, that's really it's the, the issue on the head, Tom, um, because it seems to me from her actions that Ms. Townsend, whom I do not know, I've never met. I only am observing from afar. Uh, it seems to me that she doesn't quite understand what a chief ethics and compliance officer's job is all about and what you're supposed to do. And in fact, after my first post outlining her previous troubles last week, uh, uh, several compliance officers emailed me or communicated to me to ask, like, is she even really a chief compliance officer? Because her title is corporate secretary and executive vice president of corporate affairs. And prior to this, Ms. Townsend in the 2000s uh, worked as one of the top anti-terrorism officials in the Bush administration. And then she had a long tenure as a general counsel for the billionaire investor Ron Perlman, where she was the general counsel for his diversified holding company. Um, so she has a lot of professional chops. But as I am looking at what is she communicating and what is she saying, she is taking the typical general counsel, chief legal officer, defensive crouch, that uh, what we are, the, the allegations against our company are totally baseless and meritless and outdated and whatnot. I, I would expect a corporate lawyer to say that in defense of their company. I, th I would even say that if your corporate lawyer isn't saying that, like, what the hell, dude, you know, you're, that's what you're paid for is to defend the company. Um, but, you know, it, it's not what a chief ethics and compliance officer is supposed to do. And just to go back to Ms. Townsend's title, and is she a compliance officer? Well, according to Activision, yes, she is, because in their press release when they hired her in March, they said that she would be the corporate secretary and executive vice president, and the board had designated her as the chief compliance officer. Now, so does it say chief compliance officer on her business card? Please notice the word ethics is also not in that title. You know, I'm not sure, but look, she's the one who has the chief ethics and compliance officer power and role, and she seems to be coming up short or not understanding that a lot of what the chief ethics and compliance officer does is supporting and building a strong culture of ethics. You are not defending the company per se. You are defending the corporate culture, the ethical corporate culture of the organization so that the company can stay on the right side of the law and do the right thing. Um, I don't think that is splitting hairs. I think it's a very important distinction to draw between that and the general 
general counsel, which is why I frown on all these job alerts I see. So-and-so is hired as general counsel and chief compliance officer. That tells me you're still thinking of compliance as more of the defensive crouch. Are we complying with the rules? Then, then we're fine. But there's no talk about corporate culture. There's no talk about cultivating a good ethical environment. And that doesn't seem to be what she's doing. Um, but in the modern world, that is what the employees and other stakeholders want. It's what they want at Activision. Um, it's what stakeholders want at Activision. It's what shareholders want at Activision. Of course, this being America, shareholder activists have already filed a lawsuit against Activision for the allegations stemming from uh, the California lawsuit by the California regulators. So we have an awful lot of audiences who are saying that this stuff, corporate culture, speaking up, protecting the ethics and nurturing whistleblowers so they can speak truth to power, that's important and somebody has to do it. That's what they're saying to Activision. And Ms. Townsend doesn't seem to get that message. Her actions don't convey it. Um, so I, I don't know quite what else to say about her. And then over this weekend, okay, actually, I do know what else I want to say about her. Her posts over the weekend, uh, sending out that tweet about uh, how whistleblowing is a flawed system, now she shifted from the defensive crouch for the company to the defensive crouch for herself. And that really is just not a good look. Like you're a senior executive at a large company. This is the job. If you don't like it, don't do it. And I've never said being a compliance officer is easy. Uh, a lot of what you hear from whistleblowers is either ill-formed or wrong or inaccurate or flat out nuts. And your job as compliance officers to sit there and smile and say, okay, this one's crazy, but maybe the next one's going to have that real allegation of accounting fraud or corruption or something. So we have to sit here and take all of the wheat and the chaff so we can find the actual wheat and tolerate the chaff. Um, it's just, it, it is quite the indictment um, or quite the statement about what a chief ethics and compliance officer should do versus a legal officer. They're not the same, and that's on painful display right now. Well, I, I certainly agree with that, but the, let, let me uh, ask you about uh, one other thing you touched on, which was one of the stakeholders in this situation is the employees. And the employees were so uh, upset and sensed with the original uh, email statement by Ms. Townsend that they staged a walkout, uh, I think, the next day. Now, this was last week. The company ended up paying uh, a given gave them paid time off for the walkout. But this is, you know, tip, uh, I don't say typically, but you'll talk about the amplification of an issue on, on social media and how that's helped change the dynamic. But here we had really direct action in a way we do not typically see where employees as a, a stakeholding group uh, made a statement. Any thoughts on, on that dynamic as well? Well, you're right that we rarely see it, although it's not the only time we've seen it. Um, I would more what strikes me is yet again, getting back to social media, it creates the ability for different stakeholder groups that would not normally affiliate with each other. It creates the ability for them to find each other and form common cause around some issue. And it could be a strong ethical issue like this. Uh, and that's what we're starting to see is, you know, the shareholders, the customers, the players, 
and the employees, certain portions of all of them are lining up to say this corporate culture really sucks and you have to fix it. Um, the allegations in the lawsuit seem to paint that picture and support that picture. You know what? They're only allegations. We have yet to see exactly what is true or not true. But on social media, it, there's a funny way of people just being able to press their case much more forcefully. So Activision has to deal with these stakeholder groups forming an alliance, circling the company to push their ethical priority right up to the top. And executives have to respond to it. And the chief compliance officer is a critical player in that response. Right now, I don't it doesn't look to me like this Activision CEO, senior executives seem to know what that that's happening. I don't know that they understand what's happening to their business right now. Um, it's good to see that the CEO got fired. Uh, one of the two interim leaders uh, is a woman, which I think is important if we're going to have the central issue being a terrible sexually harassing culture for 10 years at least. Um, a woman certainly should be right up at the top trying to resolve that. Um, I have questions about, you know, is Francis Townsend really going to hang on to this job if this is the the steps that she's already taken and then she's supposed to do a, an about face and still work with employees? And what's most frustrating to me, Tom, I will give Ms. Townsend credit, is she said several really inflammatory things in her email and in her tweets. But the rest of what she said in her email was actually pretty good and reasonable. She said a lot of the right things about how it's important to fix the culture and we're going to take this seriously. And then at the end, and she says, but of course, this lawsuit is meritless. I'm like, why? Why did you think that was a good idea to include it? Well, you would think that's a good idea to include if you are a general counsel and you're always supposed to say the opposing side's allegations are baseless. But a compliance officer isn't supposed to do that. They're supposed to say, we take all of this seriously and we're making steps to rectify it and we're going to get to the bottom of this and then stop talking. And that's not what happened. And and here we are with this mess. There's one other point I'd like to highlight uh, in Ms. Townsend's uh, litany here, and that is blocking employees and others on Twitter. Um, Certainly, her tweet about the Atlantic article was ill-informed, but I'm also concerned or would rather raise the issue with that when you block your own employees on Twitter, are you saying that as CCO, my door is not open? You cannot tell them to see me. Uh, it's, it's more than don't bring allegations to me. You can't even come talk to me. I think that is a very good point. Um I would be interested to tease out some of the nuances of the law here because I suspect under some legal analysis, you could say, yeah, sure, she's a private citizen. This is her personal Twitter account. She can block whomever she wants. Um, functionally, what she is doing is kind of the same as disconnecting your whistleblower hotline from certain employee phones or departments so that they can't come to you. And I think a lot of compliance officers would say that's preposterous and probably a fair number of regulators would also say you can't do that. Um, and also on the legal grounds, maybe she could do this in the private sector. You can't do it if you are a public agency. Um, and that actually was decided in court where President Trump started blocking various people and courts basically said, no, you can't do that. And like, look, people, Twitter has mute function for a reason. If you don't like what people are saying, you can tune them out, but blocking them just seems like a very provocative act that sends a terrible message for 
somebody who's in charge of cultivating a speak up culture. So Matt, uh, for our listeners, I'd like to unveil a new segment on Compliance Into the Weeds, the over-under. <laughs> and for our first over-under, uh, I want us to give our over-under odds for the length of time Francis Townsend uh, either has a job at Activision or uh, resigns to pursue other opportunities or perhaps is, is reassigned to some role such as uh, head of the mechanics wing of the tank commander section in the company for you know world of uh, war. I don't want to pick on her too personally, so I'll avoid giving a specific date. I would say that last week I would have thought, okay, that email was definitely ill-advised, but she could certainly weather that. Uh, what she did over the weekend shows some serious questionable judgment. And now that the CEO, Alan Brack, has uh, departed the scene, and there are new leadership in, suddenly that does open the door for a larger restructuring or a shift in priorities from the new leaders who would be Ms. Townsend's boss. I would not be surprised if that comes. And look, maybe she'd be a great consultant uh, somewhere. Maybe she would be a great defense lawyer if you want to hire some shadowy consulting firm to sink your whistleblower claims. There are still people out there who do it, and I bet she'd be quite good at it. Um, but so far, what she has shown on the ethics and compliance front uh, comes up lacking. And clearly, the employees aren't having it. And at the end of the day, if, if the employees don't want it, I'm hard pressed to see how she's going to remain in a tenable position. Well, my answer is a little bit shorter, 48 hours. All right. Well, there, there's that, too. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure we will have more to talk about on this, but... Uh, as, as outrageous as I thought this was, uh, both in terms of conduct and, frankly, in terms of fictional storylines, I really think there's some significant lessons to be learned. We had a, a really good chance to mine those in this podcast. So we'll see what next time brings, Matt. All right, Tom. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I've linked to Matt's article in our show notes, so check that out. It's a fascinating case. I'll be writing about it shortly as well. I hope you'll join us again next week where Matt and I take another deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I also hope you will check out our latest podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network, the ESG Report. The ESG report takes a deep dive into ESG from the compliance perspective. It's available on the Compliance Podcast Network, or you can subscribe and have it delivered directly to your inbox by going to the FCPA Compliance Report. Thanks again for listening. I hope you'll join us again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.